There's a great song that you may have heard, but not by the one who wrote it. A man named Pierce Pettis, who I wish was my friend, wrote, well, he's my friend through music. He does not know I exist. Wrote a song that starts like this, or the verse goes like this. Here's how life seems to me. Life is like therapy. It's real expensive and no guarantees. Life is like therapy. It's really expensive and there are no guarantees. And as I lay on the couch with my heart hanging out, I was frozen in fear like a rock in the ground. But you move me. Garth Brooks sang it even. And some Christian lady. Life is expensive. And there are no guarantees. And sometimes your heart's hanging out and you're frozen in fear and you're stuck on a couch. Merry Christmas. This passage today from Isaiah is a famous one about a people who are dealing like we do with discrepancies, with disparities, with a longing for guarantees, for promises that can be as comforting as that couch that you're stuck in, but they are at the moment stuck in gloom and in distress. And there is no guarantee, but they want one. And they, like us, want some assurance that somebody's going to make everything reliable. Somebody's going to make everything all right. We hope this all the time. We misdirect it in thinking that our political parties will finally, somebody will govern us in such a way that it will be good news, not just for one's friends, not just for one's tribe, but good news for everybody. For the people who are the worst off and the people who are the best off, it would be good news for all kinds of people. We crave and clamor for that. We are governed, as Jamie Smith said, by what we long for. Creatures of craving. And to a craving people who want guarantees, there is a word given of consolation from God that says, Nevertheless, for those who dwell in a darkness so deep that it chokes you, a darkness of exile, away from your home, away from the land that was to be yours forever, and stuck in a kind of darkness where you can't see your hand in front of your face, there's going to be a light that chases it and scatters it away. The future he will honor Galilee of the Gentiles by way of the sea. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. You have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. This sense of shrinking, this sense of diminishment, this sense of we were once a great people and now we are nothing is all starting to reverse. This is the, the picture, the aspiration The thing you can look at that's supposed to nourish your hope while you're stuck in the gloom. It's going to be so exciting. It's going to be better than payday. 
Increase their joy and they rejoice before you like people at harvest. When you're bringing in all that you've worked for. And it's time to unbutton the top button on your pants. And drink all that bathtub beer you've been brewing. It's a time when war will cease and there won't be threat of war. This is the promise and why we're told because for us and to us, a child is born, a son is given with broad shoulders that can sustain a government. It's a royal birth announcement. Before there's email, before you could get an evite with a pretty picture before you could Pinterest it. There was this, in the ancient Near East, a way of making a birth announcement about a king where you would heap up superlatives. The ancients who were kings would say things like, I have good words, the best words. I'm an amazing, the best student, the smartest president. I'm a king. You might have heard somebody in modern times say things like this. But this idea that a king would come and they would make all these declarations about how swell that king would be. But it's so awfully disheartening if someone claims themselves to be Freddy the Magnificent, the conqueror of cosmoses, which is a word I just made up, And then you have to deal with them. And you say, well, that guy's not so great. But this child, we're told, the government will be on his shoulders and he'll be called, and again, the heaping of superlatives, but this time with divine authority. Wonderful counselor, mighty God, the everlasting father, the prince of peace, with an exponentially increasing administration of benevolence. Have you heard Handel's Messiah? If you listen to it right, you know there's this thing that can happen to you. Your foot can start to move. There can, there can be juices that have been frozen and locked within you that start pumping again. A smile can start to appear on your face. It's not that bad of a sermon. You've got to give it a second. And as you listen, <laughs> I just, some, some people don't give you a chance. But as you listen, wonderful, counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting Father, and He shall reign forever and ever. And you hear that, and what can you do except say, yeah! And all of a sudden you forget that you have a 20% increased tax bill awaiting you when you get home. And he shall reign forever. King of kings and Lord of lords. 
Yeah, you got to get the oil changed. Who cares about that? And you find something happening in you, something welling up within you, these, these longings that seem right. Like Lucy, who heard the sound of Aslan's name and her heart felt a way that she hadn't known before. And he shall reign forever and ever. And you hear it, and if you hear it right, strange and magnificent things happen to you. And then you come back to earth with a thud. You got a 62 on your calculus test. A flat tire when you came out to go to work that day. A bad tax bill from the Congress and the Senate. Or maybe a good, I don't know. And you are stuck realizing, are there any guarantees? Maybe there are no guarantees. Life's real expensive and there's no guarantees. Man, I want to be governed. Well, I want this shepherd who will make things wonderful, who will be so wise that he won't make boneheaded mistakes and he certainly won't act in his own interest. He'll act for the interest of the sheep of his flock. He himself will go after the strays and he himself will bind up their wounds. That's what we crave someone who will create the conditions where everybody can flourish from the, those on the bottom of the heap to those at the top. And we crave that, and yet we thud with sickness and thud with injustice, and we thud with the gap that creates groaning between what's been promised and what we experience between what's going to come and what we can presently see. And so I wanted to tell you this morning as we start this Advent season that this is a series on Advent, not Christmas, because Christmas, as modern conception would have it, is going to rip you apart. As A.W. Tozer said, we spend this whole time of Christmas singing about peace on earth, and then making sure that not one soul has even an ounce of it for the next four weeks. He didn't even know about 2017. If you put your hope in Christmas, I prophesy that you will be destroyed. Because here's what's going to happen. You will be governed by longings, true longings, longings for things to be maybe like they've never been before or maybe like they once were because your memory's bad. And you have this nostalgia and you want to recreate it. You'll put pressure, deep pressure, on yourself and others to come through. And you'll think if we could just get everybody together, we can have the right kind of party, we can have the right kind of gifts, we can recreate this stuff from my childhood or, or create what was never given to me in my childhood. And then, and then, and then on tiptoes and bated breath, you, you, you hit Christmas and you're like, oh, it's just like I'm just here. It's still the same me. And they're just here. It's still the same them. And they're saying that the same thing with, about you with great lament. And 
January hits. Mariah Carey's not singing on the radio anymore. Not those songs, anyway. Your credit card bill's much bigger than you ever planned on it being. And you got a swollen and extra obese house from junk you never should have got. Christmas holds out this promise in modern time. And then it rips it away from you. But Advent, Advent can help you along. Advent's not going to disappoint you because you know why? It holds together two things, side by side, waltzing together with earnestness and actuality. At the, on the one side, you have this beautiful Stirring picture that makes you soar. Wonderful. Counselor. And let yourself feel it. Let yourself rejoice. Let yourself be giddy with delight. When you see all the lights that are going to be taken down in January and you're going to be stuck in the bleak mid-winter. When something's lost or just hasn't come. Do Do I have some melancholy issues? Or, but now... Claim the delight of it that you experience. There's this picture that all things shall be made well. And at the same time, the picture ain't quite right yet. And the earnest encapsulation of that is when Jesus was born into the world, a son is given who is going to shepherd his people Israel. And it rouses threats. It makes Herod the ruler, a pretender to the throne, awfully, awfully nervous to think that a Messiah might come. And so like Pharaoh of old, he decides in those first comings of Jesus, the first coming of Jesus, the movement and the enfleshment of our Lord, there's infanticide. There's mothers wailing. There's tear-stained cheeks and concussed heads with grief and hearts decimated by the destruction of loss. And it's right there beside these fantastic stories of a king's birth. Dizzying dismay. Giddy delight. Side by side. Christianity holds those out to you. Christianity says this is what we're doing because the dismay of your life is so fierce and the darkness and the gloom that wants to choke you and blanket all your hopes is so fierce and threatening that God himself had to step into it. And his life became in many ways like one big, long, cold shower. Have you ever lived in a place like a young man might live, a young man such as myself, the kind of place where you live after college and where you're sure to catch a disease, where uncleanliness is the rule and not ever the exception. And the landlord wants to convince you of their indifference. So it's 22 degrees outside and it's morning and you got to get to work that you hate and there's no more Christmas breaks. 
but at least the water will be 12 degrees. And who doesn't like a winter's cold shower? Who doesn't like to experience hypothermia for the next four hours in the sense of unwellness until noon? You shiver and you shake and it's bracing. And it hurts and you cuss. You greet the day with groaning. And we're told that Jesus came into the world to an unwed mother. Undoubtedly lots of speculation. To what would become an immigrant family who had to leave as refugees. Because they were being hunted. They were wanted and then infanticide. Babies killed by an ogre king. Wonderful weeping. Side by side. Advent will let you honestly deal with these longings you have that haven't been realized. Advent will let you realize that we're in between the two comings. Jesus has come the first time to step into our gloom. Our mending, as Lucy Shaw said, meant that he had to be torn up. He knows what it's like for us to be elevated with hope and then to hit the ground with a thud. And so he hit the ground with a thud and came into these dreadful conditions. One long, cold shower, a life of humiliation. But he turned it around. For us, it's expectation not met, we hit with a thud. And for him on that Good Friday, it was being hit with a thud so that expectation could be raised when you thought all hope was gone with the resurrection and a promise of the renewal of all things. Christmas will deceive you. Modernly conceived. Advent. Holding together these groanings that you have, and this giddiness that you get. That's the true situation that we're in as partners in waiting for all things sad to be made untrue. Yesterday morning, I woke up, and Robert California has told Aaron on the office, you should never start a story with, I woke up because everybody wakes up, it's useless, So yesterday morning, suddenly, I was awake. That's how Aaron says it. And I had a text message awaiting me that said, Hey, I know earlier you said you couldn't buy these tickets. You didn't want to spend that much money on the SEC championship. But if by chance there were four tickets to the SEC championship today, I know it's late late notice, but... There were free tickets available. You think you could afford that? I did the math. <laughs> Talked to Kathy, who checked her accounts. Like, heck yeah. So a kind friend had offered us these four tickets. So the day started with a level of giddiness. Woohoo! Our boys were euphoric. This is exciting. We're going to Atlanta to watch them dogs. We get there, 
I think we're going to be in the upper deck somewhere. We get these fancy tickets and we're looking for our seat. We go to a gate, the wrong gate. A man says, no, sir, you're at the wrong gate. You're in the padded seats. You go back that way. I said, what? what? I don't know what we got. Somebody just gave me these tickets. He said, well, they must love you. (laughs) So we go into some fancy restaurant and bar area. You have to go through that to get to your padded seats on the 50-yard line. Like, dang. (laughs) My boys got to experience a worship service. And they got to see drunk, middle-aged men having elongated and impassioned conversations with referees from far away as if they were near. (laughs) They got to experience a warmth of fraternal brotherhood, high-fiving with total strangers for 40 years their senior. It was amazing, and Georgia won. Some of you will care about. It was a happy day. We were stunned with gratitude. Holy cow. We got tickets like this given to us. What a grace that was. We were thankful to the Lord. How amazing this is. Undeserved happiness hoisted on us. Meeting a day I just was hoping to be unbothered. And we got this kindness thrown in our lap. So we're We're driving home. Things are secure. Georgia's got a spot in the playoffs again. If you care about that, I don't. And we're driving home, and we're happy, and we're full, and I'm getting my mind around the fact that I get to preach tomorrow twice, and we're hoping to get home by 10, maybe 11. And then, and then, and then, full, the gift that keeps on giving, the GMC, gonna make you trust Christ just occurred to me earlier. She just quit, like the ball. She just quit. Just puttering along. And so there we sat. Boom! With a thud at the Flying J truck stop at the Resaca Lafayette exit. In a well-appointed car that would not move. I need to get home. I've got to preach tomorrow. I need to do some work on this sermon. We ain't getting home at 10 or 11 or 12 or maybe, well, okay, 1.30. That's when we'll get home. I called my mom to come get us because I'm 14. (laughs) What are you going to do? If you have better suggestions, tell me. And as we drove away, Ander appropriated a song I did not know he even knew from Simon and Garfunkel. As we were driving off, he looked at the GMC and he said, I think something like, Goodbye, darkness, my old friend. This giddiness can give way to a thud and you encounter the gloom and there's a longing in us to be governed in such a way that we can say with authority, goodbye darkness, my old friend.
I don't ever want to see you again. And if you know anybody who wants to steal a car, I've got an address for you. I have to deal with it still down there, presumably. If you hear otherwise, don't tell me. But we want to know that we can say goodbye, darkness, my old friend, because it's around us. It hovers inside us and outside us. And our Savior has promised and pledged that with his name, Emmanuel, that until the increase of his government and a peace that won't stop and a light that won't permit even an ounce of suffocating darkness, that God is and will be with you. To walk with you through the darkness. So don't shut your heart when the darkness tries to befriend you Let it drive you like a GMC will to Christ who has known the darkness himself and who has been heard because of loud cries and groans in this cold shower life of his existence and now listens to you as a high priest until he makes all things new. You long for the guarantee of good governance. Christ holds it out. For all of you who want to bid darkness goodbye, run to him. Look to him during this Advent, either with groans or when he lets you feel giddiness. Amen. If you'll turn to your bulletins, we're going to confess our sins together.